Good morning. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. Today is the second Sunday in Advent. Advent is a time of waiting. 
We wait for God to send divine love and light into our dark world. How does this happen? I'm glad you asked. God's light comes through Jesus, who became a human being just like you and me, in order to be the means of restoring us to God. Merciful God, give us grace to heed the warnings of the prophets and forsake our sins, so that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. Today, God's messengers still appear in the wilderness of our lives to prepare the way of the Lord. May we be willing to repent of our sins and to get ready for God's kingdom. May we welcome God's baptism of the Holy Spirit's fire and love in our hearts. Amen. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship. Centuries old, the birth of Messiah has been born. Oh, no. 
Father, we want to thank you for your glorious plan of grace and mercy to change our lives, to change this world in sending Christ. We've come today to worship you, honor and glory to you, and we thank you for being present with us. Be glorified in all that we do in this time together, and we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Morning again. How are you today?
great to see you as uh, we gather for worship today. Just a couple of things I want to mention to you tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, we'll be gathering again to hear uh, another one of our interns preach. Andrew Sherman has been doing his internship with us this, uh, this whole fall. He's a student at the college. And uh, we invite you to come tonight at 5 o'clock to support him. We'll also have uh, some music uh, from the children and other groups. And so we hope you'll be here tonight at 5 uh, for this service. Also, you'll notice that the Kids Club is going caroling Wednesday night, and uh, you're invited to be a part of that. And next Sunday morning, uh, just note that our worship schedule changes to one ten o'clock service. So to please keep that in mind as we gather next week. We, uh, we've been doing something this fall of uh, having ministry spots each week, most of the weeks. And today we have a, a spot just a little bit about our youth group. And uh, Beth Tucker, who uh, works at the Fillmore Church, and she and our, the two youth groups do a lot of things together. And uh, she's going to share with us this morning. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Beth Tucker. And as Pastor West said, I'm the youth coordinator over at Fillmore Wesleyan Church. And for about the past three years, uh, Pastor John Cole and I have been working together to combine our youth groups. And for about a year and a half now, we've combined for pretty much everything that we do. And it's been really exciting to be able to share our resources, which is part of the reason I can be here with you today. And I see a lot of familiar faces out there. I grew up in Houghton, just down the street. I went to Fillmore Central School from kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, And I went to Fillmore Wesleyan Church from pretty much the day I was born. Uh, I I went away to college and came back, uh, and I'm glad to be here. When it was suggested that our youth groups combined, I was really happy to be a part of that process, and it's been great to see the way that God has allowed uh, our resources to combine to provide wonderful things for our youth. So I'd like to give you just a quick idea of how our ministry is structured. And I like to think of it as a funnel, or it's more exciting for me to think of it like an ice cream cone. Uh, And at the top, our ministry is wide, and we reach out into the world. And we take students to all different places. We take them on missions trips to other parts of the United States. We also take them on a more local missions trip to Buffalo every year as part of the Love Buffalo ministry that the Wesleyan Church of Hamburg does. It's a great opportunity for outreach. It's a chance for our students to interact with people that they would not normally interact with, and it really pushes them out of their comfort zones. And as the ice cream cone narrows slightly, we encourage participation in a number of our denominationally sponsored events, and that includes the Follow Tour, which is a national sort of convention Uh, There's Winter Retreat, which is uh, just our district, and that's coming up at the end of January. And then there's also Refresh Family Camp over the summer. And the funnel continues, or the ice cream cone continues to get smaller, and we provide special programming through our local churches. So these programs include special events like 30-Hour Famine, which is a service-oriented weekend. And then we have our annual lip-sync competition, which is actually tonight, and that's just pure fun. So we also provide weekly programming on Sunday nights and Tuesday mornings. And Sunday night includes uh, big group games and giveaways, and then it also includes small group discussions and prayer. And Tuesday mornings is our weekly prayer breakfast. That's kind of self-explanatory. It's breakfast and prayer, uh, which are two wonderful things combined. And even on an individual level, at the very bottom of that ice cream cone, you know where sometimes there's that little bit of chocolate that like hard chocolate, right? That really sweet little bite. 
Sometimes we get to work one-on-one with our students, which is really exciting, and it's one of my favorite parts of youth groups. I've been able to meet with several of my girls in my small group one-on-one, a little coffee, a little chatting, and you know, these diverse experiences that we can provide for them really allow them to be spiritually well-rounded, and it really helps promote their spiritual well-being to have all these different opportunities. And this is a really big task, and we really couldn't provide this kind of programming without a lot of help from volunteers. And not all of our volunteers even interact with our students. Many work quietly in the background, setting up, providing snacks, making donations, cooking things. And some people provide help on an as-needed basis, so just once or twice throughout the year for some of those bigger events. We really like to have lots of adults with us when we do things like winter retreat and love buffalo. And some people have committed to that weekly teaching and sharing that's needed for our Sunday night and Tuesday morning programs. So our students are some of the most talented and kind and hilarious people that I know. And I'm really thankful for the chance to interact with them every week. And they've challenged me in ways that I could never have imagined. And as much as I hope that I'm helping them grow, I know that they're helping me grow. So we have so many different opportunities. And if you would like to be a part of this ministry, we could really use your help. I'm confident we can find a place for you with whatever gifts God has given you. So if you're interested, you can find my contact information on our church website, which is fulmerwestland.church. Or you can find John Cole's contact information on your church website. Uh, And I'll be here after the service, too, if you'd like to talk to me. Thank you. While the the singers are coming forward, just another brief word, an announcement, or an invitation. Uh, We recently received an invitation to sing carols at the Absolute Nursing Home today during their residence lunch hour. Uh, We will swing by the campus center at 1215 just to pick up any students who'd like to join us and then all meet at 1230 at the uh, Absolute. Students and community and family members alike are invited to join us today just for an informal time of singing carols while the nursing home residents uh, share lunch together. You're invited. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back back to God. Through our tithes and offering. In the first light of a new day, no one knew we had arrived. Things continued as they had been, while a newborn softly cried. But the heavens, wrapped in wonder, knew the meaning of his birth. In the weakness of a baby, they knew God had come to earth. As his mother. It was hard to understand that her baby, not yet speaking, was the word of God to man. He would tell them of his kingdom, but their hearts would not believe. They would hate him, and in anger, they would never. 
sadness would be broken as the song of life arose, and the firstborn of creation would ascend and take the throne. singing and the morning of his birth. But how much greater will our song be when he comes again, when he comes again. Hear the angels as they're singing on the morning of his birth. But how much greater will our song be when he comes again to earth, when he comes again, when he comes back, when he comes back to Father, it is an awesome thing to, to think about what the coming of Christ means. Not just the coming of Christ as a baby, but the coming of Christ, the reappearing of Christ, in which we will know definitively that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, fill our hearts this Advent season with a yearning for Christ, with a passion for Christ, with a desire to open our hearts more and more to Christ. Father, we pray that you will rekindle the hope that you offer us in all of our hearts that might have grown weary and for whom life is dark, despairing. We pray that you will restore hope to those whose, whose life has, has become a burden. Restore to all of us uh, the vision and excitement of lives that are motivated and lived with a sense of the mission and the purpose of Christ. Father, we pray that you will fill us with all that Christ comes to bring. As we gather today, Father, we thank you for all of your blessings to us. We thank you for, for all the ways in which you are actively at work in our hearts and our lives. 
We thank you for the ministries of this church. And we just heard about the youth group. And we pray, Father, that you will bless our, our young people. Lord, as they learn and grow and go through such a, uh, a changing time of life, we pray that the one constant will be that they know your love for them. And that their hearts will always be open to you, desiring you, to, desiring to follow you. Bless all of the people who work with them and love them and are involved in their lives. And may this be a time when they solidify their relationship with you. We pray, Father, for churches around us. And today we pray for the Friends in Christ United Methodist Church in Fillmore, Pastor Nancy Russell. May your blessing be upon this body of believers as they follow you and serve you and impact their community. And Lord, we pray for the needs and the burdens that we bring with us today. We pray today for all who are grieving. And we, we think especially of, of Manfred Koch's family as they, as they commemorate the year anniversary of his death. We ask, Father, that your grace and blessing would be upon them and all who during this holiday season are missing people who are loved and are dear and close. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. Pray for Tim Nichols and Bob Brown, for Jane Swanson and Louise Princell, Laura Hobecker and Hudson Hess, for Nancy Cole and Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter and Ellis Bratzman, for Chuck Barrett, Cheryl O'Brien, for Ben King and Doris Asepian, for Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson and Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, for Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar and others who may be on our hearts and our minds today, we ask for your grace and mercy. Father, we pray for our, our wider concerns. We think about our nation and this world and people who are grieving and recovering from, from recent tragedies and disasters. And we can't help but think about the wildfires burning in California and the damage that's been done and the, and the threat to more damage. And we pray, Father, that, that you will bring an end to these fires and that to be able to get them under control and the damage would be limited. We pray, Father, for healing in our nation, which there's so much divisiveness. And may our unity be centered in you and in nothing else. Father, we pray for, for refugees throughout this world who have no place to lay their head and, and who are far from home. We ask that you would bring home and healing and restoration to them. We pray for places of war and violence that just seem to be everyday life. And we ask that you would bring peace. Father, we pray for the work of your kingdom around the world. We thank you for uh, the, the work in the Czech Republic and Sierra Leone as, as, as they serve the developed churches and pastors. And Father, we pray that you will bless each of these nations and their specific needs, that there would be fruit and success as more and more people are introduced to Jesus and open their hearts to him. 
And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution and opposition. We ask, Father, specifically for teens in the Middle East. Everything in their culture around them is opposed to their faith. We ask, Father, that you would keep them strong. Bring people around them who will encourage them and teach them and nurture them in the faith. And we pray, Father, that you will give them strength and courage, give them love. Most of all, may they know that you are present in their lives every moment. Father, we thank you for the coming of Christ. Transform us into the image of Christ. Fill us with the hope of Christ. Father, help us to be people who reflect the image of Christ. We pray all of this through his name, remembering the the joy and the grace of his coming, the promise of his coming again, and the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the reading of the scripture, uh, children and uh, children up to third grade may be dismissed for children's and junior church. Our reading today is from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, the first 18 verses. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the Gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me. Because he was before me. 
Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Tears are falling, hearts are breaking, how we need to hear from God. You've been promised, we've been waiting, welcome Holy Child, welcome Holy Child. Hope that you We would have known, but long awaited, holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our lives. Souls be Word now breaking, heaven silence. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. Fragile fingers sent to heal us. Be seated. When you got into your car this morning, if you did that. I know a few of you walked, but 
If you got in your car this morning or yesterday morning or some point this week, did you stop for a second and think about what an amazing piece of engineering that vehicle is? Before you did anything, did you sit there a second and, and, and ponder the, uh, the people and the time and the expertise that it took to put together uh, the engine, the spark plugs, the wiring, the, the computer, all of the things related to that vehicle? Full disclosure, I didn't think a thing about it. And I suspect you didn't either. You just get in, put the key in, turn the switch, put in gear, and go. I mean, that's what I did this morning. I didn't think a thing about, about all, those, all the, the wonder of that machine. I just did it. And when I put the key in and turned it, I expected it to start. When I put in gear, I expected it to, to go in reverse. And, and I think we do that not only with vehicles, but we do that with so many things in life. You know, you... You walk in a room and flip a switch. Most of us don't think about the electrical wiring and the switches and all the things that need to take place in order for the light to come on. We're just irritated if it doesn't. When you stand in front of the sink and you turn the the handle, you expect water to come out. But none of us are typically thinking about where that water comes from, how it got to our house, how it makes its way through the pipes... Why it doesn't come out when we don't turn, when the handle is off. I mean, all of those things, we're just irritated if we turn it and it doesn't come out. There is something about familiarity. You know, the phrase is familiarity breeds contempt. But I think actually familiarity might just breed entitlement. We just expect things to happen. We just expect it to be that way. And the only time we think about it is when it doesn't happen. And I have a feeling that we might do the same thing about Christmas. About the incarnation of Jesus. We, we have heard the story so much. We've sung the songs so often. It just becomes second nature to us. It just becomes something that's a part of our, of our world. It becomes a part of, of just what we do and how we think. And we probably don't give it that much thought. We don't think about all the things that are going on when Christmas happens. And I think, at least at some level, that's Charles Wesley's point in this great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I think, among other things, Wesley is trying to remind us about the incredible, mind-boggling theology of of what it means for Jesus to be born. Charles Wesley probably was the most prolific hymn writer in all of history. He wrote more than 6,500 hymns. Now, they range... From really good to not so good, just like everybody else. I mean, 6,500, you got to expect some that aren't going to work, right? But he, and, and he had a way of, of turning phrases. Wesley's hymns, if you look at them, typically are some of the most theological hymns in our hymn book. I, I didn't print the words for you today, but you might want to pull out your hymn book. And, and turn to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I forgot to look up the number, but I think it might be 123. 120, 
117. So you, you might want to just follow that as we walk through some of it today. Wesley wrote, originally Wesley's hymn, it was not entitled Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The first lines of the hymn were not Hark the Herald Angels Sing. They were uh, Hark, the Her- Hark the Welkin Rings. Oh, how'd that go again? I knew I'd forget that. Here it is. Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the King of Kings. And um, Welkin is the sky, the vast expanse of the universe. And he's describing the scene on that Christmas night that Scripture portrays in Luke chapter 2 of the angels singing to the shepherds. One of John and Charles Wesley's closest friends and associates was George Whitfield. They, they went to school together. They, they journeyed in their, in their uh, relationship with Christ together. They preached together. But at some point, they divided. And Whitfield, uh, the Wesleys were Arminian theologically, and Whitfield was a Calvinist. And so they began to separate. And they had differences of opinion. And Whitfield uh, actually was a much more famous preacher in their day. And he did a lot of journeying to America. But Whitfield loved to take some of Charles Wesley's hymns and tweak them a little bit. Which did not make Charles Wesley very happy. In fact, he refused to sing this song the way Whitfield changed it. They had their disagreements. But they remained friends throughout their life. And I actually think that... And and what Whitfield did to the song was a few tweaks. He didn't change it a lot. I think actually he might have improved it a little bit. At least for our perspective of singing it today. But when you look at this song, the underlying idea... That I think Wesley is trying to, to build. And there are a few really key themes throughout this hymn. But one of the underlying, the root idea that upon which everything else is based. You find in the beginning of verse 2. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. At the heart of everything that we believe about the incarnation, about Christmas, about all that Christ is, at the heart of that is that Jesus is the Son of God. When you, when you read uh, the beginning of John's gospel, he talks about how all things were created by him. He was God. He makes that very clear right from the beginning. Revelation describes Jesus as the angel singing King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When you get to Philippians chapter 2 and you read the first part of that beginning of verse 5, you read about Jesus emptying himself to become human. But then he says, and here's what happens because of that. Therefore, he's exalted above every name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. He is the everlasting Lord. Jesus, when Jesus comes, God does not present to us sort of the scraps of heaven. Jesus is God in flesh. And it is imperative for us to understand that all that we think about Christmas is rooted in the fact that Jesus is God. Fully, completely God. And nothing makes sense about the incarnation. Nothing really matters about it. It is not what we need to understand if that truth is not central to everything else. But once you understand that 
Jesus is the everlasting Lord, adored by all of heaven, that they all worship him and bow down before him. Then you just then it makes sense. When we talk about the word became flesh, God comes among us. And Jesus comes to reveal clearly, emphatically, the very nature of God. There is something about poetry, and hymns are really just poetry. Something about poetry, the way the author turns a phrase that can speak to us in a way sometimes that, that narrative cannot. As you move on into that second verse, in that second verse, I think one of the most theologically profound lines in all of Christian hymnody is the line that Wesley writes and he says, Failed in flesh. The Godhead see. That's a phrase that I don't think you can ever get to the end of pondering. Veiled in flesh. The Godhead see. In the Old Testament, we see that God is so majestic, so awesome, so so powerful and holy that human beings cannot begin to look on him. Moses probably gets the closest view described for us and he has to shield his eyes from God and God says he walks, uh, walks past him and behind him. But when you get to John's gospel, he tells us at the end of the 18th verse, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus reveals the very nature of God. Paul writes to the Colossians, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And what we, one of the things that sometimes people misunderstand when we talk about the Trinity is that there is this sense that, that each part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that, that they're all somehow, you know, different, different essence of God. But the reality is everything we can say about God, we can, Father, we can say about God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes to reveal to us not just, not just the nature of God, but the heart of God. Jesus comes to show us what God is like. Jesus comes to reveal to us what we found difficult to understand about God. He comes to show us the heart of God. That God wants to be close to us. That God loves us. That God desires us. And that God has a plan for us. That sin that marred our view of God, skewed our ability to understand God. That Jesus comes to give us a full revelation of God. And so Wesley begins this song by saying, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners 
reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. We all know that's talking about us, right? Jesus comes not just to reveal the heart of God. He comes to reconcile us with God. He comes to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us, to make us new creatures. You see this all throughout the scriptures, and particularly you find it in the New Testament. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes these words, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus comes to reconcile us with God. I love the way he talks about the fact that he comes to bring peace on earth. And this reconciliation with God, it's not just theological, it is practical. It's about bringing peace to us. It's about bringing light and life to us, as he says in that third verse. And it reminds us of what John says at the beginning of his gospel. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He comes to give light and life, to raise us from the dead, to give us peace, to bring healing. All of the yearnings of our souls are found in Jesus. And that's why this we celebrate his coming. That's why the angels sing, peace on earth, goodwill to all people. I think sometimes when people think about God, there is this harshness. There is a strictness. There is a narrowness. There is a, there is a judgmental spirit that we feel about God. But the reality is God's whole purpose for Jesus is to transform us, to express his love for us, to make us new, to give us peace, to set us free, to give us new life. And this is not just for a select few people. This is for all the world. One of my favorite images in the book of Revelation is chapter 7, verse 9. That says, John says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they were all worshiping Jesus. This is for all people. And so Wesley says, join in the singing, all nations, all people, everywhere. One of the emphasis of this song is the idea that not just Jesus comes to do this, but the fact that Jesus comes as a baby, that he's born into the world. To talk about the incarnation is to talk about God becoming, taking on human flesh. There are lots of stories in the mythology of of many nations and religions in which gods take on human form. But I think this is the only one where God is actually born a baby. 
Ponder that for a little bit. Jesus, God, is born just like you were born and you were born and you were born and I'm born. And the significance of that is that it is not just Jesus coming in power and might. It is Jesus coming in vulnerability. I mean, there is nothing more vulnerable than a human baby. If you're around animals much, you know that there are no other animal, no other, no other being that's born like that. At least in the, in the, in the larger animals that we know that, that don't very quickly get up on their feet. It isn't long before they're able to run and walk and make their own way. And how long does it take for human babies to do those things? The vulnerability of God in flesh as a baby. It's mind-boggling when you think about it. God would take on human flesh. And so you see in this song, over and over again, Wesley talks about the fact that Jesus is born. The last three lines, born, 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 just keeps repeating it. And what he's really doing is echoing what we find in the story of the, of the birth of Jesus in Matthew and Luke. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Mary became pregnant. An angel appeared to Joseph. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. You will be with child, he says to Mary, and give birth to a son. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child. The Savior, they said to the angel, said, has been born today. You'll find a baby. And they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I love the way the King James Version always said that because it always made me, it always made it sound like all three of them were lying in the manger. Do you remember that? And they came and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. We always used to laugh about that as kids when we used to read the King James Version. He's a baby. And Wesley talks about the fact that that God comes and he says, mild he lays his glory by. What a great phrase, mild he lays his glory by. If I were planning this event, there would be parades, there would be trumpets sounding, the earth would shake, the, the sky would be filled with stars falling and racing and exploding. It would be the most profound, glorious moment of exaltation and celebration you could ever imagine. I sometimes wonder if the angels didn't have a dialogue with God. When Jesus is about to be born and Michael comes to him and says, okay, Father, we're ready. We've We've got a million angels ready to sing. We've got all the stars waiting to explode. We've got so many trumpets, we can't even count them. We're ready to go. You just say the word. And God says, that's not what I had in mind. It's phenomenal to me that God would do something so glorious in such a quiet, unobtrusive, Some would say insignificant way. 
It's just another baby born. It's just another child comes into the world. Happens thousands of times every day. And then you look at Jesus' life, and it's a life of humility. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of sacrifice. This is the way God becomes flesh. I think the the second phrase in this song that probably grabs me as much as any other is after he says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. He says then in verse two, pleased as man with men to dwell. Some of the more modern translations of that, you know, make it uh, gender inclusive. And I always try to do that because I think that's important. But there's something about the way Wesley turns that phrase. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus doesn't do all this because the father's got his arm twisted behind his back. Jesus doesn't come in humility and vulnerability because he has no choice. He wants to. You think about the things in your life that please you, that bring pleasure to you, that bring joy to you. Things that you think, I can't wait to do that. I love doing that. It's one of my favorite things to do. There's a sense of pleasure and joy and excitement about doing it. Wesley is reminding us what Paul says in Colossians 1.20, that the Father was pleased for all of his fullness to dwell in Jesus. He's happy to do this. It brings joy to him to do this. He loves to do this. Because we are so important to him and he wants relationship with us so desperately, so much. And he wants to see us renewed and transformed and, and sh- set free and shaped into his likeness. That he is pleased to come and dwell among us. I, I've mentioned this before, but I, I, it's hard for me to, to forget that back in the fourth century as the, as the church was... The leaders of the church were discussing, trying to figure out theology, trying to understand all the things related to the incarnation. One of the discussions that arose was if human beings had never sinned, would Jesus have still come? And they batted that around for a long time as to the answer to that. And, and they finally came to the conclusion that they don't really know the answer because Scripture doesn't tell us. But a lot of the of the leaders of the church said, yes. He said, I think even if human beings hadn't sinned, God would have still come among us. And the reason for that was because God likes us. And he wants to be close to us. He wants relationship with us. It pleases him to be near us. Having heard all of that, what do we do about it? What's our response? Well, the whole point of this song at the beginning is, hark, the herald angels sing. Pay attention. Pay attention. Think about it. Engage with it. 
Let your mind focus on it. But it's not just paying attention, as important as that is, because the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they don't pay attention and they completely miss him. Pay attention to what's happening. Think about it. Engage with it. But then join in the song. Be a part of the choir that sings. Be a part of the people that tell. And it's really looking at what hap- what the shepherds do. They say, let's go see this thing that we've been told about. And they go. And when they see it, their hearts are stirred. And what do they do after that? Every, they tell everyone they see. And then they go home rejoicing and celebrating. And I think they are never the same. And Wesley says, here's, we get to that third verse from the apex of this. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Worship Him. Adore Him. Call out to Him. Give Him your life. Let it affect every part of your being. This is what Christ is calling us to. This is what the gospel calls us to. To worship, not just when we're here on Sundays, not just when we're doing things that we might consider spiritual, but every single moment of our lives. We worship. Every decision we make is an act of worship. Every thought is an act of worship. Every word is an act of worship. Every relationship is an act of worship. Everything we do is an act of worship. Because we know what God has done for us in Christ. As you think about your day, as you think about your life, as you think about all the things related to, as you ponder the coming of Jesus, hear that call to worship. Because of what he's done for us. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak the truth of the coming of Christ into our hearts. Let it change us. Open our eyes. Don't let the familiarity of the gospel make us feel entitled. But let it change us into people who worship with all that we are, through the grace of Jesus. Amen. The tune that we use to sing this song is, uh, was written by Felix Mendelssohn in 1840. He wrote it originally to commemorate the 400th anniversary of the printing press. And he said when he wrote it, it was a great tune. He wished that someday someone would put it to words. But he said, it will never do as a sacred for sacred words. It just won't fit the sacred words. Fifteen years later, a musician, a composer, William Cummings, thought differently. And one day he was looking at Wesley's hymn, and he was looking at Mendelssohn's tune, and he thought, these two fit really well. And we've been singing it ever since. Now, this is the kind of song that you sing thinking about the words, but you also have to sing it with great passion. You know, last week we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and that one had passion in a little bit different way. This one has majestic passion. And so let me invite you to stand as we sing together.
And as we sing this song, we're reminded that what we're really trying to do is to live what we sing. And so let's sing this great hymn together. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.